uh, welcome Taylor. Thank you so much Thank for you. doing this uh, interview session with me. I really appreciate. And although we talked about it, that you haven't done these kind of interviews, you know, like before today. So uh, first of all, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, new, new milestone. Yeah, uh, just you know, like a two-line intro to uh, Taylor. She works at a college as an in administration field, and she's an online sobriety coach, which means she helps people who wants to quit drinking. And she and I are both a part of a coaching business group where we are learning how to reach out to more people and help more people. How are you feeling today? I'm good. It's early here. It's 7:30, so yeah, just waking up. But yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a nice warm day. Today's the first day of spring, so oh, it's, it's good. Amazing. Uh, how long have you been uh, coaching people on you know like quitting drinking? Um, since January 2015. Um, Six years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's uh. It's been good. It, I didn't expect to be a sobriety coach. Um, I was using um, the app coach.me, which was at the time called Lyft. And I started using it a month into my sobriety streak. Um, and then they decided to rebrand and get coaches on board. And I, yeah. they rebranded me because I had a long streak of sobriety. I had a year of sobriety by then. And they wanted to, um, a year and a half, because they reached out in 2014. Um, so they okay. need to kind of do like a peer-based coaching based on my experiences. And I was nervous. I was like, I am, who am I to tell somebody how to get sober or anything like that? Um, but it worked. <laughs> it worked out. And it was fun. And it was great. And my, the Boston area in Massachusetts and my first client was in the Netherlands. So oh. that there was like, oh, I know it's the World Wide Web and everything like that. I get to learn more about other people's cultures and things like that. So yeah, and it just felt good being able to help people and the fact that I was able to, so. Yeah, uh, I, I have a personal uh, like resemblance with that date as well. So in January, 2015, I started writing online. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's been six yes. years. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, something uh, we can relate to. Uh, how, just, just a ballpark figure. How many people have you uh, helped so far in this domain? Um, I would say probably a couple of dozen um, between yeah. 20 and 30, um, which isn't a lot, but um, because I have a full time job and because sobriety is very intricate and everyone's journey is unique. I want to spend a lot of time with the client um, in terms of every message I sent. If you really look into things. Um, so I don't want to take on more than I can chew. Um, yeah. if I three new clients at once. That's a lot uh, just because there's just a lot to unpack there. But if I have a couple of clients who I've had for a couple of months and they're further along their sobriety journey, then I'll take on more clients because it's a easier workload. Um, but I want to give them the time that they deserve because um, that's the way that they'll benefit from it. Yeah. And uh, what's the most surprising 
or you know like positively overwhelming result you got for a client um you mean what my client has benefited from the most so uh, you help people you know like uh, quit drinking so mm-hmm. a lot of people will have different results when they quit drinking so what has yeah. been you know one of the most positive kind of overwhelming maybe impact that some any of your client had because they quit drinking yeah i've two actually one of them um became a mother um she didn't oh. really wanted to get her drinking under control so she could be a mother she felt that she would be able when if she was pregnant she would be sober and wouldn't drink but she didn't want to fall back to that afterwards um so working with me we got her there and she has a little baby now and we keep in touch um so it's cool to see um how that's going um another client of mine really she credited me with changing her life which i'm always like oh okay like i'm flattered but it's inter- it's like ah did i i have that power like what um and yeah. she's going for she has a lot more confidence and is going for things that like really boost her career and education and just unlocked a whole lot of things for her and it was really great to see that click in her so and that makes me wonder when do i like when i speak about i you know like when would somebody feel that they need help in quitting drinking it depends um nobody has to be an alcoholic like by the textbook definition you don't need to be physically dependent on it um i wasn't but if it's a problem if it's hindering your life in some way it i mean it just depends on what that person's not breaking point but when they've had enough and they want to make a change um yeah if they're feeling sluggish and that's affecting their work maybe that's when they'll try um in terms of coaching they're probably going to reach out for a coach if they have tried and haven't been successful or if they just don't know where to start and it's cuz it can be overwhelming so yeah and uh, i understand again this comes with you know like it's a multivariable equation but uh, w- what has been your procedure to help someone like what would you do so like let's say i came out to you you don't know me yet what are the certain you know first things you would ask me or first things you would suggest me to you know try if my goal is to uh, quit drinking let's say yep um so a lot of it is unpacking what variables are at play um so okay. figuring out home life situation do they live alone do they have roommates are they with a partner and if they live with other people do they drink um and do people know that this person is trying to get sober um have they tried to get sober in the past and if so how did it go what worked what didn't work um because that can kind of give me a good feel for what they're more receptive to um why they want to get sober as well is always the biggest one um which not everybody knows or it's they have a lot of different reasons but that's something that's the first thing we try to hone in on um because that is if you don't stand by your why um you're not going to be able to stick with sobriety because you need at the end of the day when there's nothing else that why is going to get you through it um so some people want to get sober for their family or for their partner but and that's all that's great i would call that a secondary why because yeah. 
it's you, it's your sobriety, you own it. And if you're doing it just for someone else or to appease someone else, it's not gonna, there's gonna be more resistance subconsciously. Yeah. yeah. What are the patterns you have seen people coming to you, approaching you around this domain? Um, for patterns, a lot of people and myself included, um, they drink either certain days or certain times of the day. And so they're oh. where it's kind of just like, okay, 5 p.m., there you go. Or they're cooking dinner or they're having dinner and they have a glass of wine, put the kids to bed, turns into a bottle or two of wine. Um, or, uh, yeah, or going out into social situations is a big one as well and not wanting to, you know, just having the peer pressure that isn't even stated uh, just to kind of figure out how they can be happy and still hang out with their friends, but not drink. Um, so yeah, those are pretty common. Um, I, and, yeah. I, I feel exposed. Is it okay if I share, you know, like what has been my story? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I was never into like drinking and smoking. I actually hate smoking because I've been a passive smoker for a little bit of time and I didn't like being a passive smoker. So I never even tried, you know, anything like smoking based. But alcohol was something that uh, I had it on my mind that, okay, let's try. But when I, you know, accepted that I want to try, I was going through a really bad, you know, traumatic phase. Like it was my depression and anxiety time and I uh, like promised myself that you know what this could be really addictive if I'm going to try it now again it might not be addictive but there's a high possibility of it being addictive if I try it now so let me wait it out let me get myself repaired a little bit and maybe you know, like in the future I'll try so I tried it you know like when I started feeling okay and whatever I never was an addict or something. I was doing it, you know, like maybe uh, like uh, two shots in one sitting and like two sittings a month or two or three sittings a month. So like, I don't know how on frequency, how okay it is, but I believe, you know, like it definitely does not fall under the category of addiction. Uh, again, I was not reliant on it. Uh, what happened? Uh, this continued like for a few months and certain things were going, uh, you know, like not well in my life. And in one instance, there was a group of, you know, like people in a room, mm -hmm. we were drinking, like we were friends and I became violent after drinking. The person who was sober, who didn't drink, they, you know, like they, I don't want to, you know, like mention the gender. They, you know, kind of provoked me a little. And otherwise I'm a totally calm person. Like I would never ever, you know, like become violent in my normal sense. But that time I, I became like a physically violent. And although nothing really happened in terms of physical casualty, but it, you know, like gave me an identity crisis. And like that was kind of my dominoes where it started the first domino and I kind of quit after it like mm -hmm. a few months later that that has been my you know like part of the story and I'm coming to the question that I, I asked you but I want I asked you already like uh, 
the last time we discussed for few minutes but i would yeah. want to you know get it on camera uh now that i feel it's been 2 years i don't know if calling myself sober is the right word when i was not even having that kind of a habit earlier but i haven't had a drink in two and a half years now and i just thinking like what if i do it do it as in you know like uh, try it because now i have healed now i am not so much unaware of what's dormant inside of me uh, what are you know like the pros and cons of trying it again um well the pros and cons again differ for everybody um but really asking yourself what does alcohol do for me to, what positive things does it bring me and surely while you're drinking you might feel like a buzz and like elated in some sort of sense but if it gets to a point where you're blacking out or you're doing things that you regret um fun isn't really fun if you regret it the next day or if it's just fun in the moment because really alcohol skews your perception so you're perceiving it as fun it doesn't mean it is um so that's something to keep in mind when people sort of romanticize the idea of drinking um and for the con list it just you know when you're not drinking look at what you've been able to do that perhaps you weren't able to do while you were drinking so maybe um if you were more run down when you were drinking for example maybe you're now more productive sober and that would be a reason to go back to it um another thing to keep in mind is that just for any amount of sobriety that doesn't mean a switch has been clicked in your brain and that you won't act the same way and it's just it's a gamble so really yeah. why tempt fate or like why play a cat and mouse game with that i mean you can have a waterfall effect if you just open up the door and if you don't want that result if you don't want to have another bad incident while you're yeah. drinking and then don't drink it one drink can lead to another and another and that can put you in that situation and even if your experience if it wasn't um or like nothing like terrifyingly bad and what not it only takes one moment yeah where there's irreversible things like dr- drunk driving for example if somebody's like oh i never have driven drunk and i'll just do it this one time they can kill themselves or somebody else you know it only takes one try so really if it hasn't taken away from you by not drinking then why drink um and if and what there are probably answers to that that people will come up with like oh well when i'm with my friends or it helps my anxiety um that's those are the things and that you need to look for other ways to do wait like drinking helps in anxiety <laughs> i um, didn't no, know it helps no not in the long term in the moment like social anxiety and things oh. like that oh oh Oh. Yeah, so they you I mean self-medication really with drugs and alcohol um they can be more open um your inhibitions, you know, it, So it, yeah, it, uh, is it the same case have you watched the Big Bang Theory TV series? I yeah, I I've watched a few episodes. So yeah. there's you know Rajesh Kothapalli the Indian character and he you know like uh, he calms his social anxiety around women with drinking. So just an example that came to my yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah, social anxiety is a big big reason. Um it's a alcohol yeah. 
lubricant pretty much. And I get that too. Yeah, so I, I would want to discuss it, but you know, like let's put a pin on it for the time being and let's <laughs> go, you know, like two steps back. Uh, I remember the last time we had this discussion and you asked me, you know, like just make a pros and cons list. Like why would you want to drink? Why, you know, like you must not drink. I couldn't find a good enough reason and you know, the pros column. Can there be a good reason for drinking? It's up to the person in my perspective, no. Um, if I was able to drink in a responsible manner, as they say, drink responsibly on all those advertisements, which is the quietest part of the ad. Um, if I had a glass of wine or a beer with dinner and that's it, then I probably wouldn't even seek out sober because if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. It might not benefit me, but in that sense, it's just another beverage, you know? So it's yeah, kind but- of thing. So it's not really even a positive. Um, I mean, maybe if somebody has a wine of the month club, that might be a positive in that sense. But that's again, for somebody who's not having a problematic relationship with drinking. So I really don't think there's anything positive from it. In terms yeah. Of- so the reason you... The reason you mentioned, you know, like just considering it just like, you know, another beverage. Uh, it So what I'm understanding or what I'm hearing is it may have a lot of negative experiences, but it probably will not have any positive experiences. So it, you know, probably lies on neutral to a lot negative, you know, on a scale of like, on a scale. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And... Uh, talking about social anxiety. So does it also mean that, you know, like alcohol may sometime help you in the short run, but it's just another coping mechanism. It's, it's not a solution. Is that yeah, what I'm hearing? Yeah, it's like putting a dirty bandage on a wound. It's just oh. going to festering. Ouch. The more you do it, the more you're like, okay, that worked in that situation. So I'm gonna do it again and again. And again, and then it get, can get to the point where it's like, okay, one drink makes me feel this good, then two drinks will make me feel even better. And some sort of like extrapolation. And that's not how it really works and to an extent. Like, okay, yeah, four beers makes me feel great, but five beers makes me black out. But by four beers, my rationality, the rational side of my brain rather is just like on vacation. So <laughs> I'm not going to listen to that voice of reason. I'm just going to keep going. And then it all goes downhill from there. So it's easy to yeah. get a habit if it gives you some sort of positive feedback in the moment. But that's why, again, in the moment, the next day, if your social, social anxiety is back, then it's not a fix. It's, you know, it's a temporary shortcut that doesn't really help. And over the long term it actually worsens your anxiety and depression uh just, just you know like a side note uh i'd be really glad whoever is watching or listening to this uh like if you have a good enough reason i would want to know because you know like I, i'm just i am kind of a neutral person and i'm you know like just uh being curious about both of the you know like pros and cons of things and i just would want to know more about perspectives and that's the idea you know behind doing these interviews just to you know like hear out expert opinions about why you should do this or why you should not do this 
so in case yeah. you are watching and listening this and you have a opinion about why you know a person should try drinking or shouldn't try drinking maybe you know like put it in comments and i would be eager to know yeah uh, something that um, i do with my clients um it's easy to romanticize alcohol basically um and so i'll have them even write a letter breaking up to alcohol as though it's breaking up with like a partner um oh that much of a tie and in that letter i have them recognize the good things that they perceived at the time like oh it wasn't all terrible because we did this for a while but i've changed my mind you know i'm starting to realize it wasn't what i thought it was in the beginning things like that um because really the justifications rationalizations and romanticizing of alcohol and whatever benefits are perceived everyone can think of something but when you really keep asking okay but how how why it, yeah so when any so if anybody has a pro i invite them to ask themselves okay but why <laughs> and yeah. is that a positive and is it really a positive so there's one pro that one of my friends suggested and i i didn't have it up on the mind but you know like when my brain start digging in the memories <laughs> so yeah. uh they mentioned and it's a it's a really good practice when i don't use genders you know specific talking mm -hmm. about other people anyway so they mentioned that uh when you are going on a date or hooking up or stuff like that having alcohol what's the word eases out the whole situation um, or makes you comfortable yes and uh, it um releases your inhibitions so you're more likely to be more impulsive as well um Ouch. but that, are you are you done with your thought i don't want to like interrupt no i i was done with my thought but you like okay. changed it in one sentence you changed my <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, i mean well you know the whole topic of consent you don't know how the other person if especially if it's a first date and you want to drink you don't know how that other person is when they're drunk and you don't know when they they might not they might be coherent but they might not be in the right state of mind to say no to sex or any advances yeah 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 and that's hor horrible that can be a very bad and even if your intentions are good because you don't know that you can be you can end up in a very traumatic situation and yeah i just yeah i mean it's a social lubricant sure um but it's definitely when you pinpoint things that you have issues with that you need alcohol to help bridge that gap then you know what to look for like okay let's google social anxiety techniques like yeah substances unless it's medication doctor which i am not a doctor <laughs> yeah but yeah I definitely recommend anybody to see a psychiatrist or a therapist if they're having issues with anxiety and anything else. So. Uh, I would just want to take a moment and you know like recognize and acknowledge like you totally changed my perspective within one sentence. <laughs> I was <That's> good. <laughs> anyway, uh nonetheless. Uh I see so uh, this also makes me wonder and let me use the reference of big bang theory only uh like you mentioned that you know it may seem positive superficially that you know like it relaxes you and you know like uh releases the inhibitions 
is that the term you used inhibitions yep yeah and but on the other hand sometimes you rather have those resistances in yourself because you don't know how you would react when you are impulsive or how the other person would react and even mm-hmm. in social social situations so i'm going to you know reference again to big bang theory because i'm rewatching it again so <laughs> uh when you know raj is having uh like he can't talk to women okay for anybody who hasn't watched the show so what he does is he just uh, you know uh, he realizes when he is drunk or he just has a drink it calms him down and he can talk to women but i don't know it's obviously a comedy show <laughs> but nonetheless i have seen certain times where it was better he was silent <laughs> yeah. rather than you know like opening his mouth yeah <laughs> so i can get a lot of people in trouble <laughs> that just, you know like uh, the, i know a lot of relationships have ended that way oh well it's reassuring to say that you know maybe just impulsiveness or that lack of inhibitions might not be the best thing to do yeah for sure because i mean drunk me did a lot of things that sober me never would but i'm the same person so it's coming out of me in shape or form and so it's it's like layers of an onion it's like okay what made that come out i'm not the kind of people to like try to bite strangers walking down the street outside of a club or something like that but i have tried to do that not in a bad way i was pretending to be a cat yeah it was a long night <laughs> but and like i was having fun at the time <laughs> i did not feel very like i felt terrible in the morning i was just like ah uh, that's embarrassing there's going to be pictures of that on the internet so yeah i mean, i, I understand well um it's one thing to like have like a drink on your own and not maybe like put like in a social situation make other people have to drink or something or suggest going to a bar because there's other places to hang out um because you don't know who might also be struggling with that yeah not be open about it um a lot of my clients will not be open about it with their friends or sometimes not even their families or their partners and their friends want to go out to bars and one of my the things i say is just be the first person to suggest an activity where there's no alcohol mm. and they don't know that you're struggling with this they're going to offer you a drink and if you're not ready to say no thanks i don't drink then it's just going to be um more difficult and yeah it's um it can help with anxiety but you just got to look at it and it's like well i have anxiety how can i actually fix this like long term even if it's only coming up in situations where drinking is a possibility and it doesn't it's not like during the work day for example makes a lot of sense and thank you so much for you know uh, talking about uh, this whole alcohol pros and cons list uh, i know because you mentioned you know in our private conversation that you have done a lot of research about you know like why what science says about addiction not just alcohol addiction but addiction in general uh so can can you share like uh how does it impact your brain 
So dopamine is really the dopamine is a neurotransmitter and it's often called the feel good transmitter. Um, so it gets released and I'm really also putting this in like really general, like watered down terms. There's a lot more to dopamine that I'm talking about, yeah. um, but it's basically, it chemically encodes memories is one thing. So like if you're driving, okay. if you're driving to work, it's the same same way you go every day, you sometimes get to work and you don't remember driving there. You know you drove there, but nothing stood out. If you oh. drive to work and then you almost get hit by a car, you're gonna remember that drive. When that car was coming to you, a big release of dopamine happened. That took a snapshot in your mind on a chemical level and activated that region of your brain. Um, so with drinking, dopamine can also make you feel good. Um, and it gives you a big rush whenever you do drugs or drink alcohol. Um, it just gives you a whole bunch of that all at once. And that makes your brain, it, your brain remembers again on a chemical level. So when you're stressed out, when you're on a bad day, when you're just any sort of thing that's going on, your dopamine levels go down. And so when you have low do dopamine levels, your brain is going to want to increase it. Uh, and then it thinks, okay, when was the last time I got a lot of dopamine? Oh, that's when I was drinking or doing drugs or something like that. Mm. And then it's just going to, and subconsciously that's going on. You're not aware of it. What it's telling you is I'm stressed, get a beer, get a drink. And that's it. And so when you stop and kind of sit with the discomfort of whatever you're feeling, it's like, okay, do I need a drink? Or like, what's actually wrong? Like what's going on there? Um, yeah, so can I? When that's how we need to I basically rewire your brain. Can I pause you a little here? So uh, whatever you mentioned, I just wanted to, you know, like connect dots and uh, about you mentioned, I'm, you know, realize if I'm understanding it correctly. So when mm -hmm. we are, you know, feeling stressed or our dopamine levels are low, uh, drinking alcohol could be just one of the things that gives you dopamine, right? Another thing could be like, in my case, it has been food, yep. right? Yep. Or for some people, uh, can, can it be like working out as well? Yep. So I was actually just tying into that. Um, okay, sure. So, a lot of different things give us a hit of dopamine throughout the day. Um, it might be like, oh, my favorite candy. I'll just have like even just one piece. It's a lower amount of dopamine that gets released compared yeah. to substances. But over time, the more that you do the things that you like, the smaller things, and the more consistent you are with them, the baseline level of your dopamine is going to be more steady. So even when you oh. do get it's not going to dip down as low because you're starting from a higher point. And when it dips down low, there's kind of, everybody's a different threshold of when it might be, when their brain is going to be like, I've had enough, I need that rush. Um, so when you get near that point, then you're able to be like, okay, I'm going to go read a book. I'm gonna watch Netflix. I'm going to veg out. I'm just gonna unwind in some way and yeah, so those little things like going for a walk might be one, exercising might be another, but it can be an introverted thing as well. Just 
hanging out on couch, reading a book, playing with an animal, pet, things like that. So, yeah. So uh, it got me curious about this thing. And I'm, I'm really glad that we are doing this conversation because I wanted to learn more about it. I didn't know that you might be the person who can tell me about it. But uh, there's a trend that I have, you know, just saw, but I haven't really paid attention to it yet. Uh, so the thing about dopamine detox. Okay. Ha- have you followed that or tried doing it yourself? I'm not actually familiar with the term, but I might be familiar with what it is. What is dopamine detox? I'm not sure. Like I mentioned, I haven't paid enough attention to it. It's just that I don't know if I have to define it in one or two lines. Again, I'm not at all, you know, I haven't paid enough attention to know the depth of it. But what it sounds to me is, you know, like uh, cutting out the dopamine uh, increasing activities. Like social media is one of them that I have seen the trend following. Okay. So like kind of just things that we binge on, you mean? Kind of. I'm not sure. Because we can't, I mean, you can't really, I don't know why anybody would want to deplete their dopamine. Uh, I guess it's interesting to see what would happen. Um, depression might happen. <laughs> um, and <laughs> um, so side effects may include bad. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I can understand doing a detox from things that people get hooked on that kind of give them that dopamine reward, which that's understandable. It's just like, you know, being sober curious, which is a new to me term that I've seen online. Um, people who try sobriety for a little bit just to kind of do a cleanse, oh. 30 day detox of anything or like no sugar for 30 days. So it sounds to me like that might be like for any thrill seekers, maybe they will tone it down a little bit or for anyone who just wants to Maybe they're gambling, it's not a problem, but they just want to like not chase the high of dopamine anymore. But then again, I have seen, you know, dopamine coming into effect of uh, people not necessarily doing these kind of things, you know, gambling or porn or, you know, alcohol, but a lot of times chasing dopamine just in terms of social media. Yeah, no, that's an addictive behavior as well. So it's just, it's there. There's an endless amount of information there. So many photos of different things and they make it, the apps are designed to hook you in. Um, So there's actually a great book called Hook, Hooked. um, I think it's by Muriel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that goes over it and like brilliant design for the sake of that apps and website success not so much for mankind necessarily. Um, yeah. yeah, it's everything in moderation, basically, is kind of the golden rule. And I also liked, you know, uh, what you mentioned about uh, sober curious. Was mm-hmm. that the term? Like, you know, like uh, really yeah. testing out different kind of stuff for a short period of time. And I have belonged to that community where, you know, like, uh, so this is, you know, something that I accepted in myself that I really enjoy experimenting new things. I Ooh. am curious in life and I love experimenting new things. So uh, to give you an example, uh, I did this no PMO thing for a month in February, like less than a month, but I really wanted to try like 
what uh, you know like what could happen or what does it feel like i never had an addiction to it i'm really you know like i consider it as a positive habit instead of a negative shaming and guilt kind of habit but nonetheless uh, i had a client who you know had kind of an issue with it and who wanted to improve it so i was like you know what let me try it as well let me see you yeah. know what uh, challenges one may face and another experiment that i tried was do, uh, going celibate for a year or so maybe year and a half and just you know like pausing everything and i was like you know what let me just take a break let me see what how does it feel like let me see how not flirting feels like in a communication and that sounds a lot like you know again uh, trying something like a sober detox alcohol detox or you know uh, this dopamine detox as well uh, when when we talk about the addiction behaviors um, so what are the most common addiction behaviors you have seen in the world or in your clients or in your world people around you obviously one of them is alcohol because you work yeah. with those clients what else behaviors and the type of addiction kind of like you mentioned you know one of them is social media but have you seen a lot of social media addiction in your world where in your ecosystem um one of my client i've had a client who was addicted to the news um and oh. it didn't at all um so that was a big issue and they drank as a result of that anxiety to kind of quiet down their nervous thoughts um and they would do it right in the morning it would get interfere with their work even before the pandemic they were working from home so it was um that was a big factor it wasn't the only thing behind their drinking but that was a comorbid uh sort of addiction and a lot of the time you'll find that people have more than one thing yeah addicted to or habitually go to uh food is a big one as well um either binging or being um anorexic or bulimic or not to that extent of having an eating disorder but um restricting their food intake in some way or even being addicted to exercise in an unhealthy way where i i know someone who goes to the gym basically 8 hours a day but they don't work him <laughs> they're a, they're a parent and they have a job but and it's not 8 hours straight but they're just at this 24 hour gym obsessively going at it and i don't understand that i <laughs> i don't have that kind of a determination but i think that's excessive i don't think that's really a healthy relationship with something like they're trying to they're not even getting at this point they're trying to get away from something but they don't yeah uh, is it okay if i talk a little bit about what has been my story around food addiction maybe i don't yeah, know sure. if Go addiction ahead. addiction is the right word to use so what happened because you know like i mentioned i went through uh, when my anxiety and depression started and hit me uh binge watching and binge eating became my coping mechanisms so i locked myself up in a room and i'll continued eating it so what basically happened uh like i would never feel full there need there always had to be somebody else tell me that the point you have eaten a lot like just stop mm. it so you know because my body used to have this you know binge eating thing not just eating multiple times a day 
but also eating a lot every time i eat mm-hmm. so you know like i stopped having those signals that you know what i am full i never felt full as always like uh, there are only a couple of reasons why i would stop eating number one it's getting awkward because everybody has stopped eating around me so i need to also put down my plate number two would be it's getting really costly or <laughs> uh, you know stuff like that or number three is like it's actually unacceptable like i could be eating one burger but it's really uh, unacceptable if i eat five burgers in a row in one sitting right yeah. so and i was totally unaware of it i just thought that you know like it's natural for me like i'm mm-hmm. having more hunger and that kind of stuff and what happened i used to be a skinny dude and i grew overweight yeah. i continued working on my anxiety and everything you know over the years and only after working four years i recognized that i have some food issue like wow. i have unhealthy food habits yeah and initially i just called it unhealthy food habits because i didn't know you know if it was a problem or something i worked with a coach i worked with my therapist around it so the day i recognized that okay oh my god i've been you know like eating out my emotions it was not the food i was eating i was eating my emotions yeah and i couldn't eat for like next one or two days uh, yeah and you know i needed to go back through to therapy it's almost a year since that happened and i you know again worked on my worked with a nutritionist worked with a coach worked with a therapist and i'm like aware now that when i do this when i'm you know like under stress the first thing i notice is i'm eating something junk or you know like something that has a little more flavor than health in it right and and just you know giving my brain some t- my dopamine basically yeah and last week so i guess 3 weeks ago it was national uh, eating disorder awareness any da week yeah i was also not aware so i went on to do more research and i recognized there's a term called, so i thought it's binge eating it's just a behavior but then i realized it's binge eating disorder mm-hmm. and the way to diagnose that is they give you like five or six symptoms and if you tick any three of them or four of them you are you know having that disorder have that i'm you know like obviously i've been working a lot on you know improving uh, eating habits but i recognize that 3 or 4 years ago i had that so out of those 5 or 6 symptoms i crossed you know more than the required amount yeah and i was I was never even aware of it so i have seen a lot of addictions behaviors or disorders don't even have enough awareness around them exactly depression and anxiety has got a little popularity <laughs> that's oh, what my ther- <laughs> you know that's what my therapist mentioned i did an interview with her as well like uh, mm-hmm. a few days ago but then again i see a lot of things like this binge eating thing like i just thought it's you know something that i don't know i'm conditioned to do it's not mm-hmm. just a conditioning it it goes you know like beyond that as well usually about control yeah because nothing else is you know like nothing else is in control in my life let me at least have control on the menu that i order yep 
even if things are in control in someone's life, if somebody feels like they're not the ones calling the shots, that they're not the ones controlling their life and that somebody's doing it for them, they might not feel resentment on a surface level because everything's okay, it's not chaos, but they don't have anything that's theirs that they have ownership on. And so a lot of the times people feel like, I need my computer time, I need my food time, I need something. I just need this thing, conscious or not. Um, it's just, and because there's a lack of control to whatever degree, that usually will pair up with how the extent of binge eating or binging on social media and whatever the behavior might be. Oh, it just feels a little heavy when I shared that yeah. story. Well, thank you for sharing it. I mean, that's how you beat stigma down by talking about it. Um, I have ADHD among other things and I thought it was just, okay, I can't focus in school or something. And I've had it for years and now I'm 30 years old and now I'm just learning how much, of, how much it's impacting my life because I didn't know the struggles that I have were ADHD related until yeah. I saw a lot of ADHD memes and I could relate very much to them. And I read the comments. All these people were talking, even having a discussion about, yeah, me too. And this, this, and this. I'm like, that is, that's all me. Like, wait, what? That I, things I've been struggling with for years, like my concept of time. I found a YouTube channel that now I'm watching and apparently with ADHD, you don't, there's no, you visualize time. You don't internalize time really. There's okay. not now. And that drove me crazy. I didn't know that was an ADHD thing. I will get so focused on something that you can't break me out of it or I'll forget to eat. Not on, like I don't have an eating disorder, but I just get really into something and hours fly by kind of like reaching a state of flow, but I it's not really on purpose. So it's kind of, it can be productive. It can be not productive. And that's also an ADHD thing, which I did not know. I just, you know, there's so much about me that I'm like, well, what else is in this suitcase that I can unpack and maybe then try to figure out? Cause without even knowing what to call it, I'm not yeah. gonna be able to Google it. And maybe there is no solution, but knowing, putting a name to it there's a, that's kind of therapeutic in itself. It's like, okay, I'm not alone on this. Sure, there's no solution, but I know what it is. Um, it's kind of like if you're, you think there's a monster under your bed, you are terrified you, until you go down there, maybe with your parent and with a flashlight and you see that nothing's there. And you're like, okay, well, now that I know nothing's there, I know what I'm up against, like I feel better now. Um, so yeah okay so uh, Taylor I belong to the group of people who don't know much about ADHD can you educate mm -hmm. me um so I mean I'm learning I can talk well okay um it can come up it's in childhood is when it develops and okay doesn't develop in adulthood however it can persist through adulthood and usually does um, and this is based on like me, I'm still just learned like January of this year is like when I started to piece it together. 
I, oh. I've been in therapy off and on since I was 10 years old. None of my psychiatrists or therapists ever explained ADHD to me, which I'm shocked at. Um, just because I was experiencing it doesn't mean I know what it is. I didn't connect the dots. And so for me, it's just routines are hard. Um, I have so many different alarms telling me I, when I should be showering because I'll get I'll lose track of time. Um, I'll think, oh, this thing will just take five minutes. And in reality, it's an hour long project. But for oh. some I'm like, oh, I can totally do that in five minutes. I've got extra time. So I have to tell myself I'm not early. I'm on time, even if I'm running early, um, because that helps me just stay in my zone. Because once I get all the things I need to get done, done, then I can go do a five minute thing for an hour. Um, and it's just, it's difficult to focus sometimes, but, and I'm on, I'm prescribed Adderall for it. So that helps mm -hmm. a lot focus. Um, but yeah, just feeling really scattered and not being able to find the words half the time for what I'm trying to say um, in, in describing my feelings or why I am the way I am. Like, why can't I do this? Like my, I have a very visual memory sort of thing. So not, my organization might look like a mess oh. chaos. So it's kind of like, I remember things because I remember where I put them. I don't remember it like, oh, that belongs on a shelf. So it must be on the shelf. Be like, no, I put it on the table because that's where I was when I was going to go get dinner or something. It's on the table. Um, things like that. Um, just being late constantly. I, my, I have clocks that are set to various times that are ahead of time because I'm bad at math. So mm -hmm. I, if my clock is seven minutes fast, I can't do that in my head. I'm just going to assume that's what time it is. Um, which drives people crazy if they're over at my house. Um, but yeah, and just being, I have moments where I have intense hyper-focused um, time. I call that vortexing. Um, sometimes I might just, it might be a game on my phone. It might be just scrolling through social media. I get very engrossed in it though. And I don't even hear my text message alarms go off or anything like that. I'm just oblivious to my surroundings and I look up and suddenly three hours hours have passed and I think it's been like half an hour. And then feeling like, oh, I've lost that much time. I'm not in control of that. And so that's another thing where, you know, I probably was self-medicating for that as well. Um, I also have depression, anxiety and complex PTSD. So it's okay. hard to point which things are ADHD oh. and anxiety and depression, ADHD can lead to anxiety and depression as well. And yeah. there, I definitely have, um, I have childhood trauma. So I am, I'm clinically depressed. Uh, that's no question about it. That's not from my ADHD, but my okay. ADHD can make it worse because I feel like crap when I don't get things done. I'll yeah. get great ideas for projects that I want to do and I'm excited about doing them. And then like five minutes later, or not five minutes later, but like a week later, I just don't finish it. I have so many unfinished projects and I'm excited about them, but I don't act on that excitement or motivation. So then I'm questioning myself, like, do I even want to do that? Why do I say I want to do that? And why do I feel like I want to do that? But I don't do it. 
and it doesn't make any sense. Um, so I'm still trying to navigate it and what's going on. And my train of thought also is pretty weird. <laughs> um, and when I say things to people, sometimes I'm like, oh, I should have like, said my thoughts out loud leading up to that point, yeah. but we're very confused. <laughs> so uh, Taylor, first thing first, this was really heavy. I'm not <laughs> sure if you realize this because you know, like you're too close to what you're feeling or you yeah. know what, whenever you described from someone who has not experienced this, any part of it. I just feel like I need a moment. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all this. If it weren't up to this conversation, I wouldn't know how hard life is for someone with ADHD. Yeah, no, it's, um, every, yeah. <laughs> I go through so many different planners, even like um, like agenda planner things, like physical or digital. And I thought, I just, I don't know. I get excited when there's a new one. I'm like, oh, I can put stickers in it and use gel pens. I'm gonna be so organized. And then a couple months later, or even a couple of weeks later, I don't touch it. Um, I, again, found out that's an ADHD thing. So I have this one question and, you know, like, pardon my ignorance. I'm just trying to learn. That's fine. I'm learning too. So recently I have been, you know, like, again, came to awareness, a little awareness about autism. So do ADHD and autism has a little bit of overlap? Um, I'm not 100% sure because I'm not totally, I'm not well versed in autism. Okay. Um, know um people who are autistic i have friends who are autistic um and i work with people who here's a great thing i learned like yeah. uh so I, I was talking to my therapist on this kind of interview and she mentioned that it's not people who are autistic it's people who, with autism mm -hmm. so there's the difference of terminology and it, it just with this distinction there's a lot of compassion involved like yeah. You know, so she pointed out that because you don't call uh, autistic people, call it people with autism. So, you know, like they are yeah. normal people and they just have, you know, this thing. So likewise, yeah. you know, like it's not ADHD people. It's like people with ADHD. Yeah. Or uh, neurodiverse is also a term. Um, oh, great, great. Diversity. Because that's actually like a broad sort of. Yeah. And being that makes sense. Yeah, and being neurotypical would be, you know, not having a mental illness or a learning disorder, such and so on. Um, I also, uh, with um, terminology that just reminded me that um, with um, suicide, it a lot of people say that person committed suicide. Committed. Crime. No, like the terminology is died by suicide. So I'll, uh, I, I know, uh... You're from US, so you may not be aware of this thing. So in India, there was, you know, like uh, last year, a really popular celebrity died by suicide. Mm. And so that celebrity, he grew up from ashes, you know, so he was like uh, from a really kind of humble middle class background. Mm -hmm. He was doing engineering and he quit, dropped out of his college and he pursued, you know, acting. He struggled, he persevered and he, you know, like became a really popular actor. His name is... Uh, Sushant Singh Rajput. He did a movie called MS Dhoni. And he died by suicide last year. Mm. 
so that was the time this particular phrase you know like not it's not committing suicide it's dying by suicide that became really popular in india that's Or interesting maybe awareness yeah yeah no in america it's not common people still, media will still say committed or uh, again it's it's took their own life um which it, which is that is what it is um but yeah i do um the american foundation for suicide prevention is a fundraiser i do a lot of fundraising walks for um okay. and it's a great community of people so that's how i learned from it um and i sued suicidal ideations and things like that but i never really thought of saying die by suicide so yeah there's so many terms out there um for so many different things that i want to learn too just so first of all yeah. not live and also to not really rebrand it but you know that helps with the stigma as well and identity and stuff like that like oh i'm like i'm suicidal versus i'm feeling suicidal because it's not necessarily your identity yeah. and it's not just that's not all you are basically exactly so anyway uh <laughs> this was an uh, like a heavy conversation but i'm so glad that uh, we are doing this yeah. okay i can get heavier too that's a <laughs> <laughs> i'm feeling scared about it <laughs> i I, I'll, i won't tell you my childhood story then <laughs> not today maybe <laughs> yeah uh so uh i you know like what i did like a week or two ago i sent you know i sent out an email to my email family and i asked them that you know in the coming 2 uh, 3 weeks these are going to be my interview guests one of them is an addiction coach you know uh, the sobriety coach one of them mm-hmm. is my therapist and if you have anything to ask just you know like let me know i'll ask them on your behalf so here's a question one of my uh, you know she has been a uh, client in the past and she wanted to ask this and i know about her personal situation because i worked with her she wanted to ask you this uh how do you deal with the trauma that your family members put on you when they are alcoholics okay um i can answer this because now we're dipping into my childhood story um i was raised by a single a be a single mother she was a, an abusive alcoholic still is um and she also has bipolar disorder and um a bunch of other things going on she didn't have an easy life either um okay. i was physically abused um up until i was 17 and a half which is when i got emancipated so i divorced my parent divorced your parents or something it's a term oh, um, what's that term uh emancipated okay it's when like a ward of the state and you your parents are not your legal guardians anymore. Um so I went to a let's say a group home and then I moved back in with my mom because the group home was worse and then moved out to go to college. Um I still live like a 20 minute drive or 1 hour on the T uh, public transportation away from her. Um so it's and i have her phone number blocked because i just needed to stop what was going on cuz she's still verbally abusive to me 
she denies abusing me, which is the most damning thing ever. When your abuser denies abusing you and gaslights you that way, it's yeah. like, okay, you ruined my life. Like I'm starting from like below zero and I'm trying to catch up to everybody else. And you're denying that you had any role in that and that I'm like making this up. Like that's not okay. So I just, I needed to stop that sort of abuse because I'm an adult now and I need to write my own story. That's a very difficult mindset to have. I would highly recommend um, this person listens to a podcast called The Adult Chair. Okay. Goes into childhood trauma and a lot of great visualization exercises and really great people to um, listen to. And um, I highly recommend it. I'm listening to it and it's been giving me a lot of great stuff. Um, dialectical behavior therapy, also known as DBT, um, is something that's very popular with um, learning pretty much emotional regulation skills that um, can be kind of derailed due to trauma and or never developed if you're in a situation like me where you don't have a parent who is stable that yeah. you can remember those um, like having a routine, having this sense of safety, things like that. Um, so my boyfriend actually is I wouldn't be able, I've made a lot of progress in the past two years just because of my boyfriend. Um, I have, for me, for my trauma, a lot of my triggers come up when I'm in an intimate relationship because that, yeah. that's it, when you're really close and personal yeah. to someone, you're with a parent or family member, that's when those things are going to come up more. And so things that I didn't even know were dormant are coming out and I'm like I am learning this too I'm so sorry like I don't know but basically having the reassurance that I am safe in this moment I'll take a deep breath do a body scan just kind of check in like okay what am I feeling am I in danger is there a threat going on right now no okay if it's yes then okay I'm gonna leave I'm gonna run away from that threat is there a lion chasing me is a bear about to attack me am I going to get kidnapped right now from a sketchy van. No, I'm in my room. I'm safe here. Nothing wrong is happening. And really just, I mean, it's time. Time is a big factor as well um, in working with a therapist and being yeah. active and introspective. Having a journal and just writing down anything and everything that comes to mind, trauma related or not, is really helpful. Yeah. Um, I said that when I was just, I was trying to take my medications on and just recording what time I took them. So I would know how it affected me. And mm. now I, I do that still. And I just journal in within that. So it's, it's nice to just be able to get my thoughts out and not feel as though I'm going to burden somebody else by sharing <coughs> with them. Because you mentioned before this heavy conversation, like, my childhood and stuff, that's heavy, a heavy yeah. amount. So unleashing that on another person, like huge I- Huge ask. Huh? It's a huge ask if you, you know, like unleashing it to oh, yeah. on somebody else. Oh, for sure. And especially if they're an empath and they absorb emotions, it's, I don't want anybody to have to feel the way that I feel, like at all. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy if I had one, my arch nemesis. <laughs> 
Um, but really just loving kindness as cliche or trite that might sound, that is a huge thing. Self-compassion, being able to nurture yourself, um, being able to give back to yourself and love yourself, which I will say that I don't love myself. I'm not at that point yet. I, and that's one of the big reasons I drank because I hate myself and I don't like my thoughts. Um, I have an, I became my own abuser basically because I, all the rhetoric that my mom said while I was growing up that I'm worthless, that I'm not a product of love, but so I'll never be loved because she was raped and that's how, I was, how sorry, how I was conceived. Yeah. All those, they come into my mind. I don't ask them to, they just do. And they're like, you're not, you're a failure. You're not, why do you even try? Things like that. And it's difficult to break free from that when that's what you've been told. And even though you know rationally it's wrong, your caregiver, you're supposed to trust them growing up. Yeah. So yeah. Take what they say as true because you're young and you don't know the difference. You're like five years old. Of course, this person's telling the truth. They care about you. Um, and you also don't know it's wrong if you're young when it happens until you realize like, oh, my friend's families aren't like this. And so you might not even speak up about it because you don't know. Um, and just finding things that work for you in terms of workbooks, actionable items, if there are triggering flashbacks, just working on how to approach those in different ways. And however that trauma is affecting you on a day-to-day -day basis, figuring out, okay, well, what thoughts can I yeah, yeah. Formations or something. I have, I actually, so I have on these two cards that I keep in arm's reach at all times. Um, I have a distraction plan written on it. Just like, what am I going to do when I'm overwhelmed? So I don't um, self-harm because self-harm is a big um, result. And when I, um, I call it spiraling, my thoughts just consume me and I just go down the deep end of like pit of despair, darkness. Um, and so I have a relaxation plan when I'm not at home and when I'm at home, because it's different um, and things like that. And there's different uh, coping statements I wrote down on here and thoughts and um, yeah. And I got that, I got most of that from a workbook I was working through. And um, so yeah, having, knowing what you want to do and what skills work is one thing, but in the moment when your trauma is triggered, you're not going to remember that. Same with if you're drinking, same with anything in the moment, rationale, the rational mind is like not there. It's all emotion. And you are just fueled up on that. And like, if somebody asked me what my favorite band was when I'm in that state, I might not even remember that much. And I know that I know, I know what that is. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's just have, you need to anchor yourself in having reminders of what the, those things are and also practicing them when you're not in states of distress. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like when people take antibiotics, they feel better. It's a seven day regimen. They feel better on day five. So they stop taking them. Then they get sick again. Cause they didn't do the whole thing. It's like, even though you're not feeling upset in the moment, like, build those yeah. skills when you're not because you'll be able to tie them into you know what have whatever happens um when you're triggered and mindfulness is also a huge component um, yeah i would say meditation is a 
you know, the most straightforward and easiest, in my opinion, um, form of uh, mindfulness. Easy in the sense of being able to do it, like practical easiness. It's not okay. easy. Yeah. Um, necessarily, but it's a practice for a reason. Um, and be able to just check in with yourself, um, come home to yourself, in yeah. a sense, and just know who you are. And I be the author of your own story. You're not being subjected to that trauma any longer, hopefully. And that is your past. You can write your future. Your past can have an influence on your future. It usually does. Um, but your the present moment is soon going to be the past. So right now, like you're what you're yeah. doing is an investment in your future. And since you're not being traumatized further by new things that are coming up from um, the abuser, hopefully, um, that gives you the time and space to really work on, okay, yeah, I want to be, who am I? Like, who, do, what do I identify as? Like, am I somebody who really believes that they're worthless? Am I really worthless? Like, no, like, and try to be your, be a devil's advocate for those things, challenge mm -hmm. those those negative beliefs and just yeah so uh taylor i, I would on. want i would want to you know like uh discuss a little specific details about this you know one client mm -hmm. uh and before moving there i would want to again you know like take a moment and uh feel gratitude say thank you appreciate you for opening up about uh your past and I want to take a moment to, you know, just check in with myself here. Yeah, it's definitely. this kind of a conversation is a little difficult for me because I either had a coach hat on me or a client hat on me whenever I discuss trauma. Mm -hmm. This time, I don't want to have either of those hats because I don't, I, I just want to listen to you. I don't want to offer you any coaching or any therapy because <laughs> you're already going through all that yeah. stuff. Right? Yeah. So, I'm just, you know, like having this kind of a conversation probably for the first time where I'm not a coach. I'm not, you know, like a client when there is yeah. trauma involved. So yeah, something unique uh, for me as well in this conversation. Yeah, uh, I feel the same way when I, when I'm listening to somebody, I'm like, I'm not trying to help them. They're not asking me for help, but I want to. And I'm trying <laughs> to, like, oh, they could do this, this and this. Like doing group therapy, going around a room, be like, yep, I'm, I'll play a guessing game sometimes. Like, hmm, I bet their parents are divorced. And then it comes up that their parents were divorced. In my mind, I'm like, told you. <laughs> so I don't wish that upon people. I just am like, you know, um, let me see. Let me try to. Thoughts can be a, a, you know, like an interesting activity. Yeah. So uh, uh, what I'm curious about is because, you know, like what I'm seeing so far and what I would want to acknowledge is that you have to take a lot of courageous steps in your life. Right? I hear that a lot. People tell me that a lot. And I feel like I, I'm just living. I, a lot of people are like, wow, how did you get through all that as a child? It's, it's you know, probably... It's probably because you have done so many courageous acts that it's kind of a normal to you. So for example, people 
tell me a lot that you know like i write so many deeply vulnerable stories online and they comment you know like or send me a text that you know what it was really vulnerable i am you know like you are really courageous to put it and i'm like it's really normal for me i'm just talking i, I talk like this only but yeah. then i realized that because i've been doing it for so many years again and again and again talking about things that people don't even dare imagine talking about you know like it's normal to me <laughs> but it's yeah. probably not normal in the world and you know i wanted to talk about this normal thing so living moving out of your parents home is relatively normal in the western countries mm-hmm. it's really really not normal in indian countries in indian countries okay. you are supposed to so although the previous pattern was having a joint family with 10 15 kind of people 10 15 different members in the family nowadays most of them like have four to six members in the family okay you know like instead of joint families it's a nuclear family the concept but nonetheless there's a lot of guilt and shame by the society attached if you don't want to live with your parents okay so when we talk about you know the having an alcoholic parent you know the whole situation turns a lot in indian context not in indian context but maybe asian context i i can only imagine you know the things would be probably a lot similar in japan and china and all that as mm-hmm. in all those areas so i'll give you a little brief about this client okay obviously i'm not revealing the identity or anything uh her father is an alcoholic he is the only he used to be the only financial source for a long time and since her elder brother started earning his father you know kind of became lazy and avoidant in earnings as well he is not regular in his job he kind of became dependent on his family for finances as well and obviously uh, he he has you know he had a rough past currently he is kind of a burden emotionally as well on his family because he is always whiny and complaining and you know because he is the head of the family so he is authority in his family and we see you know like how authority family authorities are different in western versus in india or asian culture so in this case this you know my client or my previous client not now she has been programmed to feel that she doesn't have us an individual identity that's one mm-hmm. thing she also comes from not a modern culture modern india in modern india you would see a lot of you know blend in in the western and eastern cultures but from the rural areas of india there still you know like typical orthodox asian cultures which means mm-hmm. if you do not belong to this family if you do not fit in this box you know you are wrong somewhere or you know there is like you are not good enough or you are worthless and all those kind of things and it it just okay first of all it makes me sad to even think that you know like the situation she is in like she she yeah. doesn't even think that it's an option to move out yeah that's uh, yeah when you are not safe and you feel like you can't escape that's just it's suffocating honestly 
uh, I am going to put a you know trigger warning in this disclaimer of this video because we need it. I'm you know obviously yeah. talking a lot of heavy stuff. So yeah. she mentioned uh, her brother is like three four years elder to her. Uh, he kind of abused her like physically, not sexually, but you know mm-hmm. like became violent. Okay. And the family blamed her to be the issue of the whole situation. and before you know when i had first session with her she felt that she was the reason that you know what i am the one you should be blaming this for and I, what i'm feeling is that she's so much deep in the whole mess that probably she doesn't even think there's a sun that exists in the world there's no sunlight or anything i'm not sure <laughs> where to go from here but i just believe the best i personally can do or you know we as a group collectively can do is like raise awareness that it's okay to feel safe it's okay to demand safety in your life yeah um is that a setting where um cuz i'm not well versed in that culture um sure. men are you know have are held to a higher esteem than when than women are like women are held responsible for they take most of the blame for things and men are they can get away with a lot more which it is which is basically like how it is here too but um pretty much do, everywhere <laughs> yeah basically um so really it might just be um like just from what you were saying um It sounds like the dad there might be some resentment there that the brother is earning a bunch of money and so he's he might be feeling replaced or something. Oh yeah 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 definitely and definitely that's like, definitely a factor there. There's so many levels of you know like resentment, shame, guilt, mm-hmm. insecurities, anger, you know like yeah. all of them like in again so it's a highly dysfunctional uh, if if you go look at the depth of the functionality in the family it's highly dysfunctional although you know it may look quite okay if you are their neighbor but if you like you know spend a few days with them you can see how many layers of insecurities resentment guilt jealous all of them you know like resides yeah and her being blamed for being a victim or even in some cases people are told that they're just making it up for attention which is I won't even go down that path because I've got a rant on that one um like I yeah but it it's just it's being gaslit and stripped of your own identity because you're being told who you are and what you are which yeah. is how you feel so it's like who am i am i crazy because everyone is telling me this one thing and really that she's being gaslit she is being told something that is not true because it's what other people because those people telling her that don't want to feel bad about themselves they don't want to take responsibility for their actions they don't want to admit that they have a devil on their shoulder or they have something in their head that they can't control it's them projecting so this has a lot to do with the asian culture again mm-hmm. let me talk about indian culture because i'm not familiar with the whole asian perspective but mm-hmm. this has a lot to do with indian culture this was a big factor in my journey 
for the first 17 18 19 years of my life i tried to live a dual life the first part of my life was impressing my parents my teachers my guardians the second part of my life was impressing my uh, friends by impressing doesn't you know like like typical impressing or stuff but trying to fit in the box that they would want you know like to have a person with so yeah. for example if your pa- your parents would want your son to be you know their son or their daughter or their child their kid to be respectful have good academics be you know like really good in sports be uh, an extrovert uh, you know these kind of stuff i used to yeah. tick mark all of that so up until the age of like 17 18 i was a superstar in everybody else's eyes and i thought that was my reality so i, I was pretending to be happy and then there was a huge uh, identity crisis and i thought i don't like you know like worshiping gods i don't like being uh, you know like uh, i don't believe in religion like it's not helping me and i saw yeah. how i thought a lot of things that everybody told me is going to help me was not actually helping me and yeah so like there onwards my life changed when i you know like took ownership that you know what maybe if i let's say if i date people it's not a bad thing in orthodox india it is a bad thing if i'm dating a person and i don't like or you know like i didn't feel that the vibe is matching it's okay to just end it it's not a bad thing if that thing doesn't end with marriage yeah and um one point about being with partners um and having an abusive hold ending the cycle of abuse is all of our responsibilities so like i had a lot of childhood trauma that does not give me a free pass to put my child through that same thing like well that's how i was raised so that's the way it must be so learning from that and understanding what's wrong and what's right and then going forward and just being like okay i don't want to be like you i'm going to do the opposite of what you did and a lot of the times people will seek out subconsciously partners who are kind of like their parents in some way because it's comforting it's yeah. really level but that's also how people get into abusive relationships or they stay there because they're they kind of are used to that flow even though it's not the best for them and they deserve better and there's better options out there they would rather be in that situation than alone and it's very sad and it's really you know understanding that that is wrong that is not how i should be treated i should not be abused by a sibling a, by a parent by a partner by a friend by anybody and just because it's happening repeatedly does not mean it's okay and doesn't mean it's the norm even though it is the norm it's not it's not <laughs> here's the here's a really fun conditioning we have gone through as indians so uh because we talked about romanticizing something right so the really really popular idea that has been romanticized is to be a good child you need to have your topmost goal as i want to make my parents proud i've heard that a lot and i've seen it a lot 
Um, I have a and lot I, of who, um, whose parents um, weren't born in America, but my friends were, and um, strict Asian parents. And, you know, it's very stereotypical and, and it's stressful for them. The it's, issue is, there's a huge chance probability because of lack of internet your parents might not be aware of all of the things that's been happening in the world that could include if you are a if you are someone from lgbt community there's a good enough chance that there was shame and guilt before this internet era about this thing there was not acceptance and if that is your truth that you know what i am this person you know and anything like lgbt anything that doesn't fit their box you know of being a good kid yeah and it relates because we have romanticized the idea from you know when you are 2 years old you are being told in india that you know what you need to you know you are going to make me proud you are going to make me proud that's your job that's your job and when we grow up we see you know there's there's a conflict like either i you know live my truth which will make my parents maybe a little unhappy for the time being because of their own insecurities not that doesn't have anything to do with who i am because again they will be equally offended if somebody else is lgbt you know from that community so there's a huge conflict if we you know like put an outer uh, what what it what's it called like outer locus of control outer what of control locus so you know like you are putting your locus of control outside of yourself so you know it's not inside of you so yeah i had never thought about it i never verbalized it but i i believe this is has a huge thing to do with like you know this conflict that should i follow my truth or should i make my parents happy because both of things most of the times are not going to be the same thing and something that comes to my mind is in those cultures have any of the children made their parents happy because there's a good chance the answer is no and so then they want their children to make them happy because they weren't able yeah. to do that kids and so if they can make their ch- children do things that make them proud then that's success as a parent and then their parents dead or alive even would then you know maybe be proud of them i never received um like I didn't have my artwork or my good grades or anything put on the refrigerator as a kid which is normal here to show like oh I'm so proud of you and what not so I seek out external validation a lot I'm a people pleaser like I try to get praise and a pat on the head for things and when I don't get that which I'm an adult I'm not going to all the time and usually don't I feel worthless and I feel empty I feel like I failed when it's not true and that's because I'm doing things to get some thing from other people a response not i'm not doing it for me in my response and so it comes down to you know again being true to yourself do you want this does somebody else want it for you do you want to do it because you want somebody else to like you in some way um yeah it, and it's i mean it's hard to break through 
yeah. cultural norms. Here's an unpo- yeah, here's an unpopular opinion that I wrote a couple of days back on LinkedIn, and somebody from US may not be able to you know like relate a lot to it, but you know generations from India, the current generation, the younger ones could really relate to it. So I mentioned that you know what, maybe your family isn't the best place. for you to be mhm it's being told to us as a normalized thing that you know what whatever happens your family will be there for you that's not yep. true mhm maybe your family is the issue of everything yep. that's happening with you it usually is worldwide the parents <laughs> even if you have a perfect childhood that will still mess the kid up somehow so parents can't do anything right <laughs> it's funny thing Yeah, they might like burn the pizza one day, and that's five years of therapy for some random reason. <laughs> It's so, so I, many like interconnected things. You know, I I asked this to my uh, therapist on this interview session, and I asked her, you know what? So I had this one friend. I I talked about her with you as well. That she had really loving and caring growing up. Her father was really you know loving and caring. Her mother was loving and caring. Her elder brother was loving and caring. uh they didn't have any financial struggles or you know that kind of a stuff so she had a good enough kind of childhood but because of her father's super high expectations or her own expectations from herself she is anorexic she is going through therapy so i asked my you know like therapist on, on this interview session that if and when i become a parent how do i make sure that i don't put my kid through therapy or like he doesn't need it if he wants it it's okay great but yeah. what can i do to make sure that i don't mess that person up and yeah. she's like we are all going to just mess up our kids in some other way yeah, yeah we really are <laughs> everyone's screwed sorry humanity because <laughs> i i have i have a friend who grew up financially well off wasn't rich or anything but you know yeah didn't have to pay for college um you know humble city in like the midwest or something like that didn't have any ex- first hand experiences with depression anxiety anything like that not in his social circles either had was able to do extracurriculars that poor kids weren't able to do but lived in an area where there weren't poor kids coming to the city and where there are a lot of different people with different backgrounds he was not able to communicate well to other people he didn't have the insight that things could be bad for people and he didn't understand why people some people would be depressed and didn't want to live he yeah. didn't understand why some people hated their parents um he you know he could un- he could read it and be like that makes sense but having a conversation he just wasn't connected to it to the point where like he just he unless he does some work he's not gonna he's open to understanding but he's not fully immersing himself and it's like and he makes suggestions like yeah that would work for you i've tried that <laughs> uh have you just tried going for a walk or a run like I can't get out of bed today. Sure, I'll go run. Like and it's not because, <laughs> and it's because he just didn't have any experiences growing up 
priming him for that, which obviously I don't wish anybody to have a hard childhood, but to be aware of those things and not yeah. self yeah. is a big thing. Having those hard discussions with your children about, you know, systemic racism, even, you know, about um, sure. by a mental illness, violence, you know, things that people want to protect their children from. But honestly, like, don't go to the level of traumatizing them with how much you share, but just, you know, let them know good and bad, right and wrong. Like, this is what you can do, though, to help. Yeah. Because kids, as they say, are the future, and which is true. And if they know that there's work to be done in our society and culture, then they're going to be more attentive to what can be done. They're going to pay attention to like what's not okay. And they can stand up for the kid being pushed around on the playground, you know, and something as yeah, I really would want to you know, like circle back a little bit on the top point you mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, it's a duty, even if we have been through a lot of trauma, it's a responsibility to not pass it on. Yep. Right. And I just want to share this, you know, like uh, my experience with it. So I had a lot of traumatic experiences that I may not be able to, you know, like be open enough to share it right away, but mm -hmm. I have had like a couple of really traumatic experiences in my childhood. And what happened was, obviously they were under, unaddressed and I didn't know what was happening when I was a child. I didn't even know it was wrong. What ended up happening was because of lack of unawareness or accessibility, approachability, help, I ended up traumatizing a lot of others in different ways. Mm -hmm. And because I have written it like multiple times, I can say it out loud that I have shown narcissistic tendencies for a long time. Mm -hmm. After all that, when, I don't know, obviously under a series of incidents, when I got medicine of what I was doing, you know, like a, a little spoon of what I was offering others. Yeah. I got really scared that, you know what, this is not good. I should not do it. Although I feel good doing it maybe now, or I don't feel terrible if I'm not doing it, you know, like, like that, but maybe let me not do it. I don't feel good doing it. So, you know, that kind of realizations happened over the years. And I, this became like kind of a fear for me for maybe, you know, like a year or so. Um, and Buddhism talks a lot about it that, you know, do whatever you want to do in life. Do not cause more suffering in the world. There's enough yeah. suffering in the world. So I could relate to Buddhism a lot for a really long time. That I don't know. So <laughs> circling back to the point, I was going to mention that this has been what I have been trying to do. You know, this probably the underlying cause of why I'm doing these kind of interview series is, you know, just educating myself first about the things that I don't know enough about. I didn't know. So whatever you mentioned today about ADHD, I probably knew maybe less than 1% of it. I'm still learning and I have it. <laughs> but because we did this interview, 
I'm at least five percent more educated than who I was before. I'm glad. Thank you for uh, talking to me about this stuff. I mean, it's difficult for people to talk to uh, or talk about it, but it's even more difficult for people to ask about it because people don't want to offend somebody if they don't know how open they are about it. Um, I believe that's a second stage. The first stage is they are not even aware that that's a, this is a thing in the first place. Or this is true, a real yeah. thing. This is a real yeah. thing. Right. You know, like, for example, what I've been doing for the past few months since I started accepting these things, you know, like not offending somebody or stuff like that. I started saying whatever somebody is going to say, I'm going to take their word for it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to question if they, what they are telling me is the, is a real thing or not. If they are going through it, I'm going to believe that it's true for them. Yeah. Even if it's not true for them, it doesn't matter. But, yeah. you know, let, let me rephrase it. Even if it's not true in the real world, doesn't matter if it's true for them. Exactly. Something I, uh, an analogy I use is that, you know, if you have you ever had a nightmare and you woke up and you felt, you, you kind of felt scared for a bit and couldn't really shake it off. It's not to say that, oh, well, it was just a dream. So you don't have a reason to feel scared. You don't feel scared. No, that's not how it works. You feel scared, even though it's not something you actually experienced in the real world. It was a nightmare, but that doesn't mean your emotions aren't true. And, you know, the way people feel, you cannot argue with that. They feel the way they feel. End of story. If they feel hurt and you didn't, and you, because of something you said, and you didn't intend to hurt them, you can express that. That doesn't mean that they don't feel hurt. Uh, it's a great analogy because, uh, you know, just yesterday I was talking with a client and she's been working for a long time with me. Uh, this is a relevant experience, so I wanted to share this. She mentioned that, uh, Dipanshu, uh, I've been resisting you for a few weeks now. And my response was, and you know, like this was on the top of my head, you know, like obviously it was during a conversation. I didn't give it a lot of thought and I really liked the way I responded. And I, uh, what I told her, I said, uh, okay, I necessarily didn't do anything that I wouldn't do otherwise. So I was just being myself and I don't think I can blame myself for that. So I'm not going to blame myself if I resisted you in some way you know, or you felt resistance towards me, but because I care for you, because we work together, please tell me how can I, you know, what can I do to, you know, like make this easier or make this comfortable for you? Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't my fault, you know, like if she felt resistance in doing something that, you know, I was being me, let's say, right. I, mm -hmm. I didn't do anything out of the blue that I wouldn't otherwise do. So I didn't feel the necessity to, to apologize in the first place, because again, you know, like it wasn't that I was moving and I touched her out, you know, stuff like that. It like, I didn't cross any boundaries that, you know, like, I don't know. Did you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It sounds like, um, you did something or she, or it just working with you in general, she's taking it the wrong way or is more sensitive to things. No, so yeah, what, what happened? She was feeling resistance in her life about a couple of things because of certain things that was going on 
you know like in her own life no it had like nothing to do with me yeah and that's what you know like i offered her that i understand that you felt resisted and i don't feel that you know like i am at fault in any way but if i can do anything to make it easier or comfortable for you please please share and let you know like let me take an extra step for you and i believe that's what you know uh, that's how i believe i am opening up to you know the idea not idea but the lgbtq community mm-hmm. like i am straight i am cis i like i don't relate to them in in that sense in you know sexuality or gender per se yeah and whoever i'm going to date is also probably going to be you know like straight or bi so she may not relate to that as well but can i do something just to make things easier for you can i talk about it a little can i you know like the what i did can i interview you so i interviewed a trans gay life coach because i wanted mm-hmm. to know more about you know like lgbtq community yeah. it doesn't directly have things to do with me but i know what i do can help others yeah when you're if you want to be an ally being an informed ally is the best thing to do because it it's one like even with racial injustice it's one thing to use a hashtag but what are you going to do other than that a hashtag's a hashtag like yeah. okay you are adding to the masses that's a step sort of but you know it's better than you know denying it's a problem but be vocal about it catch yourself when you're doing things that you know might be offensive it's really hard for us to live outside of ourselves because we haven't experienced other people's lives firsthand and even when somebody shares their story we don't totally know all the emotions that are wrapped up yeah. in it because we didn't experience it we can have a guess and be like oh it's really bad or or that's really great depending on what it is but we don't really know and we assume that we know and then shrug off anything else we'll make assumptions about people even if it's based on what they say and then use that as like a kind of a blanket way of how we're going to interpret that person from there on out and people are very very multifaceted they're very complicated and complex and they change from day to day sometimes you know and they have different moods so it's easy to kind of put somebody in a box even when you understand them or seek to understand them so it's just a fluid sort of thing constantly learning like okay i'm more educated about it now but that person's experience isn't the same as that person's experience even if they identify as the same gender um or trans and things like that yeah yeah so yeah it's really it's just it's a lot when you think of it it's just like oh there's a lot of people in the world and they're all experiencing something different and yeah. i want to help and i want to be more educated about it there's a lot of you guys though <laughs> <laughs> and there's also and you mentioned um you know not apologizing for what you did but asking for, like how you can yeah be. yeah um similarly i've been realizing that i shouldn't apologize necessarily for being depressed you know that's not my fault and but it does make other people feel bad um so i do apologize for how i made them feel yeah rather than my actions unless it was obviously like an action that you know yeah 
even if I identify with it or something and be like, oh, I identified with that because I didn't know it was awful. And now I'm aware it is awful and I'm not going to do that again. I'm very sorry. Thank you for letting me know. Um, you know, I'm just bringing awareness. Like with my boyfriend, I ask him like, oh, if you see me like spacing out, just like, you know, clap your hands or something or like touch me and like be like, hey, like, where are you? Like come back to earth, things like that. Like if I, um, you know, if I come across, if I say something wrong, like word it the wrong way, just let me know. Um, because we come from different backgrounds as well. And just, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot to not people please at the same time. Yeah. Because when you please, you're not yourself. So it's like, it's adapting to your surroundings and being more inviting and understanding with others while also having your own place at the table for what who you are as you continue to progressively learn. So well, who you are today might be different from who you are in a month yeah. because of all the knowledge you're gaining, but you still are you at your core. So yeah. you don't dismiss who you are because you want to be more in tune with other people and things like that, which can go, I'm not saying you specifically, but- Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so here's an interesting thing I, you know, recently read about people pleasing and I, again, I haven't done enough research about it. I haven't been, a, I don't know, like people pleaser in general, but there have been like a couple of people that I have tried pleasing in a, for a long term. So, uh, so the, this was like a definition kind of a thing that I was reading that, uh, people pleasing has a lot to do with trying to control other people's perspective of you. So it has a lot to do with control issues. Yeah. And going back to the um, structure of a family um, yeah. and you're wanting to make your parents proud, that's people pleasing. You're yeah. trying to literally people pleasing. So you're conditioned that people pleasing is the norm. And so that, and you mentioned, you know, trying to do that with your friends as well, that felt like being who they, who you want them to see you as your yeah. people. Exactly. You know, uh, what I felt, yeah, exactly what I felt, you know, for the first 17, 18 years of my life, I've lived somebody else's life trying to please, you know, one group of people who were elders, parents, guardians, relatives, teachers. And then the second group of, group of people who were, you know, like, again, my friends and my classmates and all those stuff, all those people. Hard to accept that I've been a people pleaser, but I guess that's been the reality. But then again, what I see, the growth or, you know, who I am nowadays, I will not say that I don't, you know, like try to please people or something like that. Yeah. But I believe it has improved like tremendously. One of yeah. the people I am trying to impress continuously is me. That's one of the reasons I have set really high bars for myself. Yeah. That's why I'm not doing 30-minute interviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, people pleasing, like, obviously, it's good to make people happy. But as long as, I think, in my opinion... At what cost? Yeah, in my opinion, is as long as it's not subtracting from your life and if you're not um, overcompensating to the point where you're self-sacrificing when you don't have to. Um, like I would put myself in a position where like, 
I financially couldn't afford a gift or something, but I wanted to have somebody like me. So I, you know, maxed out a credit card on something when it wasn't necessary. I could have just written a heartfelt card, but I have this chip on my shoulder that I'm never going to be good enough. So I try to go over the moon with things and I need to tell myself like, I am enough. I don't feel that yet. I haven't internalized that yet, even though I know I am enough, but I need to, again, practice, 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 continuously tell myself that because if people, not everybody's going to like me either. And if I want them to, then, you know, great. And if it works out great, if not, then it's better to let that go and just realize like, that's just going to be like a neutral friend sort of thing. I'm going to be friends with them on Facebook. We're not going to really hang out. Um, but that's okay. They don't have to like me because I would rather have, I, I want to cultivate relationships with people where both parties are genuine and they mesh. Because when you meet somebody who you're just like on the same wavelength with, you really click with, they can finish your own sentences, you have the same sense of humor, that feels so good because you're not trying to be somebody else. Um, and <laughs> another, out who you are really yeah and another issue with what i have seen in myself my clients a lot of people around me is we don't feel it's okay to feel good so when yeah. you are yourself you're having fun you're enjoying it somehow there's you know like there's deep down a belief a limiting belief that you know what Maybe I don't deserve that much goodness. Who am I to deserve that kind of happiness? Yep, that's me every single day, every moment. Every single day, every moment. And I, I also get scared of setting the bar too high and not being able to live up to my own precedent. Even though I am capable of it, I feel like I, it was a fluke. Like, oh, I, I'm never going to be able to do that again, even though I can. But because I put myself down, it's a self filling prophecy because I am totally like putting on blinders. I have like a scope. I'm only going to look for the negative things. I'm only going to look for things that, um, fall that prove my point. I'm going to ignore everything else. Like if a hundred people give me praise and one person doesn't, I'm only going to listen to the one person who doesn't. Yeah. This is like, Nope, that person's right. They're saying the same thing that you've been hearing your whole life and that you're bringing yourself down with. So you're validated. So, so uh, you know, like coming back to the, the uh, point because I had an experience around it. So, you know, like not, uh, what's the right word to use here? So not allowing yourself, not giving yourself permission to feel good, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned it, you know, like in our conversation that, uh, since childhood, one thing that I've recognized is I really love being curious and exploring new things. And I have had that kind of a thing in my relationships as well. So if something is not working, I rather not fixate and, you know, like continue going in depth and struggle. I rather be curious and, you know, try something new. Yeah. But because from the Bollywood movies and all the chick flicks that I have watched, I have this idea that there's a perfect person, there's a perfect girl, a boy, they'll meet. And they're not supposed to have five relationships before meeting their perfect partner. (laughs) 
for a long time i have made myself feel guilty and ashamed that i have uh, you know like tried multiple times finding love or not finding love but you know like finding someone who like a connection yeah yeah and so what i did you know things were happening again and again again and again i was like on a spree of hookups and stuff like that and i was not even feeling good about it the sad part was i not feeling good about meeting new people and i was like something is wrong let me just hit pause on this yeah. so for the next one and a half years probably up until like a month ago i was like i'm going to practice celibacy i'm not even going to flirt mm-hmm. and i don't know what the future is going to be i don't know you know like if i'm going to practice celibacy for a whole lifetime or if i'm going to end it you know like within a few months or stuff but i want to take a pause and i didn't know the issue was not the inability for you know finding a match the issue was me not giving myself permission to feel good about what i like doing which is you know like meeting new people having conversations that that's what i'm doing essentially right now you know having a conversation yeah. and that changed so many things for me like within just like it's been a month only so i was working with my coach and I, I, out of you know gretchen rubens four tendencies about expectations mm-hmm. i resist internal and external you know uh, expectations so if you as a coach tell me the punch you are doing this wrong i'd probably resist the idea <laughs> i'm not going to you know like bow down so i need yeah. to if to make a change i need to say it myself so we just had a discussion and she was like why do you not want to be open to love and you know like i have contemplated on that i it it made me realize that you know what let me be myself that would mean having more conversations with people and being open and curious about the ideas not having a box that has given me by netflix and amazon prime that <laughs> you yeah. know <laughs> you need to, like it's it's okay you know that that's how you know like i started questioning that uh, i started questioning about the institution of marriage like i understand the theory behind it but you know just started questioning everything and all the beliefs and thoughts i had about these things like for example uh, for the first five dates don't have sex okay why or you know like you have to propose and there needs to be certain amount of gap between engagement and you know like the wedding okay why you know like constantly checking like where do my idea of idealism or you know what i want in my life my desires are coming from and when i talked to a couple of my friends who were struggling with their relationships finding up you know like a good match or stuff like that most of our ideas about relations dating weddings come from the institution of netflix yeah pop culture definitely does not help a lot in terms of um expectations about what the real world is like growing up i thought you know i'd have a career and be married by 25 cuz people on tv would do that i'd have kids before i was 30 a white picket fence yeah no that no that i realized when i was 20 i was like oh yeah it's not happening is it oh okay student loan debt what oh that wasn't in the movie 
<laughs> so, exactly. So, uh, have you watched this? Uh, there's this uh, new series of Bridgerton. Yes, I watched it twice. I watched it on my own, and then I made my boyfriend watch it. <laughs> I watched it with him. But yeah, yes. Now I, you know they put you through so many uh, romantic background scores. <laughs> so many angles and expressions that you wouldn't see in a real person yeah you wouldn't see somebody you know like who has a crush on you and will be blushing at the same time so you could you know just read him out yeah. but it happens at netflix yeah it is it, you have to take it with a grain of salt because that is 18th century or 19th century it was ye old one they didn't have electricity yet <laughs> so <problem laughs> was a thing you know but what I like about Bridgerton, though, and not the plot, it's just how they casted it. It's very diverse. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, I smiled so much for episode. Spoiler alert: the queen is black, and I was like, hell yes, yes. There are Asians in there. There are Indians in there. Like everybody. Like it's not white. Yeah. The lead actor. Yeah. <laughs> actor is black i you know like i that's awesome and there's no conversation about oh it's forbidden because of how he looks at all it's about like uh, you know yeah there was no mention about that it's like class and society and stuff like that which is you know that was that's actually the times but it shows you what it should have looked like because there's no reason it's other than oppression yeah that I wouldn't be able to have a seat at the table. Um, I, I I don't want to you know like uh, miss out on the point I was making. Yeah, <laughs> so sorry. Let's acknowledge Bridgerton is a really good kind of you know a binge watch. I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah. my own it's the a, whole it's a fairy tale. Yeah. The the whole question was you know to actually question like where do my beliefs coming from? Where do my desires coming from? Like if I want a perfect partner. Or a partner who will, you know, like let's say, be a really good listener, or who will, again, you know, like if I'm, uh, I'm a male. If I want a female, uh, I want her to be this kind of person in bed, or this kind of person in family, this kind of person in kitchen, or in career, or stuff like that. Where are all of those beliefs coming from? Yeah. And my study shows. <laughs> it comes from netflix 100% of them are coming from netflix or you know nicholas sparks books yeah <laughs> or social media because people only post on social media good things about their relationships they don't really post like hey just had a fight with my boyfriend about xyz like small things even you don't see that obviously because people want to everybody to think they're living that perfect virgin life um, and I also, but like what I've learned in my relationship with my boyfriend, which is my first long-term relationship, it isn't an expectation of the other person. It is exploring who, the dynamic. It's exploring who you guys are together and mm. not in expectations other than like, does it feel good? Is it natural? Am I enjoying I am with this person because there are people who bring out the best in us there are people who bring out the worst in us there are people who really complement what dynamic we have there are people who okay I might have a weakness in 
I don't know, like I can't drive, for example, and he can, okay, that works. <laughs> um, but something like, you know, like just being able to help each other through different things and be a team. That's why, I mean, it's probably not why, but you know, it's, they're a partner for a reason. They're in, you're in this together and you're cultivating something new. So while you're both individuals, you're creating a new thing. And so having expectations for the person to be a certain way doesn't mean what you have together will be that way because you're a factor too. So it's just that, and you don't know, it's not perfect 50-50 split. You're just going to pour it all together and see what comes out. And that's, you know, having an experimental mindset, just seeing what happens, just being like, you know, let's see where it goes. I just, I know what I want is just a stable, healthy relationship. I don't know what that actually is going to look like because it's different for everyone. I'm going to know it when I feel it. Really. I, I really enjoyed your definition of, you know, like, let's, put everything we have <laughs> let's you know yeah. like grind it mix it and let's see yeah. <laughs> what smooth it <Yeah>. becomes <laughs> yeah because i mean who knows <laughs> okay so uh just a little light kind of a question <laughs> because we did so many heavy questions yeah uh Apart from going through this habit coaching certificate, you're a certified habit coach, right? So apart from that, did you took up, you know, did you take up any other coaching certifications or trainings? I didn't mostly because of the cost of them. And I wasn't, this isn't my full-time job and it wasn't something that I wanted to do full-time. And I'm not sure if I ever would, maybe if I, you know, move and want to do a completely remote sort of thing. Yeah would um i looked into um being a um a licensed alcohol and drug counselor just for also the sake of education um but at the end of the day i i having to do like 1800 hours or something of um work in a social work setting dealing with um cases that weren't what i would want like opioid addiction is huge um but okay that's not something that I feel comfortable you know coaching anybody in and so going through one of those courses um for that actual like licensure or certification certification from like a state um you have to be well versed in like all the things and I kind of wanted to stick to what I have firsthand experience in because it's more genuine and I can connect with people better on that level um, but I did take all the psychology courses I could in high school or college rather. Um, and I continue to learn on my own. And just for me, knowledge is power. As long as I'm getting the information, that's what counts. Sure. I don't have the credibility maybe of somebody who is like an award-winning coach who has five licenses from so many things that they thousands of dollars for each one but I know what it's like to have a problem and I know how I got through it. And that's not, and I also know that's not gonna be how everyone gets through it. And I wanna, and I'm interested in what sticks to people, what gets through yeah. to people, how do people work, the inner workings of the mind, it's like a puzzle and I get to explore it. And it's, it's so unique and interesting and broadens my perspectives as well. And it's just, yeah, I mean, I 
other than learning from me and learning from my clients, that's all I really need at the end of the day. And if other people are uncomfortable with me not having that certification or licensure above that, then it's not a good coaching fit. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, a personal question, feel free to, you know, like not answer if you don't feel comfortable. Uh, do you have any spiritual practices that you do on a regular basis? Um, I meditate. Um, but that's as spiritual as I really get. I don't have, I never did AA. I didn't like the higher power aspect of it. Um, and some of it is a little cult-like, but at the same time, I, I've had clients where it does work for them and I'm all for whatever works. Um, yeah. so I don't, I'm not like against it. It just didn't work for me. I, I don't understand it, but you know, it works for a lot of people. Um, I had... The closest person to me, uh, my very best friend, passed away unexpectedly in 2018. And so I'm sorry. that first death in my life, that it was the biggest thing ever. And um, she was walking to her car from work, um, from her office rather at work and collapsed. Um, they found out later it was a blood clot that went to her lungs. Um, absolutely no warning. Um, and not that that would necessarily make it better, but she was my rock and she was huge in everyone's lives. And now I find myself talking to her, which, you know, is part of the grieving process in general, I think, but yeah. she would be like my higher power, I guess, if you could say that, like, if I'm scared on a, going on a walk on a bike path that night, like I, clench my fists and pretend I'm holding her hand or something like that. Um, I'll, I have blown the dark stars on my ceiling because why not? And so sometimes I'll lay down and I'll talk to them. And, you know, energy never dies. It just transfers from one place to another. And I hold some of her energy inside of me because, you know, that's, I just, I believe in that. Um, I do have healing crystals and things like that. Um, those are, I mean, they're kind of fun. I wear, I mean, I wear them. This one um, I wear uh, because of my friend. She didn't give it to me, but I wore it at her wake and funeral. And on it, um, I have a little, she gave me a best friend's um, bracelet. So I have the charms from that on it as well. And so I just, I just hold it because it's a big reminder of her. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that, um, that sort of thing. And yeah, meditating, the, is pretty much and just finding power and personal empowerment basically being my own sort of spiritual guide in that sense um and lifting myself yeah. up you know giving myself credit for what i am doing and not attributing it to god or something which if people do that and they're happy with it so be it not my jam but you know that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing another part of you. Yeah. So. Did you realize it's been more than two hours? It's been more than mm -hmm. two hours already. Like I always ask this question to anybody who's interviewing. Yeah. It's been more than two hours. And because we talked about it, I know that it's tough for you to measure the time internally, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a reminder that it's more than two hours and it's going to be a heavy 
video or you know podcast that i'm going yeah. to publish and i'm going to put a disclaimer for anybody to just be aware triggers yeah. ahead <laughs> yeah you can even split it up if uh, it seems to be like sobriety in one part and more mental health and stuff in another or something like that sure before we uh, like end this conversation uh, if somebody has to reach out to you how can they and i'm going to put the link in the description where can um, they reach out to you um my website is coachedbytaylor.com it's kind of getting a revamp right now but my email okay. address is taylor@coachedbytaylor.com um so they okay. can uh, shoot me a message there Um, amazing so i'll mention the link in the description and thank you so much so so much taylor no problem. thank you for having me i mean being open and honest is the best way to start a conversation about difficult topics that people should be talking about and it can and also being open and honest can help other people be aware yes. of something in their lives that they need to check out so Yeah. This has been the heaviest conversation I've ever had on, you know, in an interview. And yeah, thank you so much for opening up this realm of the world for me as well. And no uh, to whoever is watching and listening, I'm going to see you again in another expert interview session next week. Stay connected. Thank you so much.